acid bubbles are really pretty simple things. I mean, we, we talk about them all the time because we've been living in the shadow of acid bubbles for seemingly forever, basically our, our entire adult lives. You go back to the dot-com bubble, for example, there's many different causes, but at its very basic level, what an asset bubble is, is simply mispricing the future. It's becoming too optimistic. It's becoming too, too, too willing to rationalize potential downsides and potential negatives, to overlook, the, overlook those, and just to continue to think the future is always going to be better and therefore act as if that's going to be the case, to ignore warning signs that tell you maybe it's time to rethink your strategy here. And asset bubbles, like anything else, this, this, this maybe flaw of human nature applies to more than just investing and more than just financial stocks or things like that. It can also happen in the real economy. To some extent, the business cycle, like an asset bubble, is mispricing or misjudging the future. And so here we are in 2023, we are living to an extent with the potential consequences and fallout from what was and massive distortion in 2021 and 2022. It was in many ways like an asset bubble where people around the world quite understandably mispriced and misjudged the future. And because, you, because that happened on such widespread scale, there has to be consequences for that because there comes a time when the asset bubble, the rationalizing, all that stuff runs out and we have to get back to fundamentals like income and profits and vacancy rates, talking about commercial real estate. And in the case of, say, China, well, where do we even begin? So much of it has been mispriced. Some of it has to be repriced. And in between, we have a whole bunch of potential messes. So, Mr. Van Meter, we've, we've been talking a lot about First of all, China, we've talked about a lot about commercial real estate, and it seems as we move towards September, there's a lot going on in both of those spaces. And let's start, let's start, let's start with uh, China today, because as we know, Evergrande, I'm sure everybody heard this, Evergrande just filed for bankruptcy protection. I just talked about it in the previous video. It's not really about Evergrande, though, is it? It's about the fundamentals of China and the global system as they stand not in people's perceptions from two years ago, but where are we actually today? Yeah, Jeff. So let's let's talk a little bit. You know, expand on this asset bubble just for a moment, just so people really understand. Think of it. You know, we took all this money, we borrowed tons of money. You know, lowered interest rates, extended credit, and people went and spent money like crazy. And so think of this as kind of like you you have a little manufacturing you know business. And you start to see a huge line out your door and you think, well, uh, maybe you're making donuts like, well, turn the machines up, man. We need to start cranking out donuts because there's a whole line of people. Well, at some point, the line dissipates a little bit. But every time you turn on the news, you hear somebody like the Fed or the president or, you know, the Treasury Secretary, somebody saying, hey, you know what? Demand is really coming back. I know that I know there's a little lull right now. And you think, man. I don't want to see a mile line for my donuts. So you say, you know what? I'm going to start making a whole bunch of them now. So when they show up, I can just cha-ching, hit that cash register. They're going to be in and out. 
But the problem, as we know, is, well, if you build it and they don't come, now you have just the opposite problem. You have too much inventory. You start to face disinflation, deflation, and then the bubble eventually bursts. And that's the problem is where we're at now is, you know, you look back to the global financial crisis, you know, which I like to do, Jeff, and we see, hey, there was a clear bubble that had effects all around the world. And now we look at China and, you know, everyone gets excited. Okay, things are bad in China, but that can't really affect the rest of the world. The problem is, and I think you're going to agree with me here is, yeah, if China goes down or has a major issue, it's going to affect the entire rest of the world. Yeah, this the word is decoupling. And it's the, the word that showed up in 2008 when many people were convinced that uh, the, the problems with subprime mortgages, they probably wouldn't be contained. The United States and Europe were going to experience a big recession or made a really tough time. But China, emerging markets, they were going to be fine. They were going to decouple from the West and just go along about their business. And the funny thing is, Stephen, you know this, that decoupling narrative lasted almost to Lehman Brothers. It got into the summer of 2008, and you see the China's yuan, uh, some of the other metrics. Oil prices, for example, continue to be a huge problem all the way until July 2008, in part because of this decoupling narrative. China was going to be great U.S. was toast. But as we learned the hard way in the second half of 2008, there really was no place to hide because there was no decoupling. This is why I use the term all the time, globally synchronized, even though it's not always synchronized in time, we're usually synchronized in direction, if to some extent, uh, variation in degree, because once part of the system begins be, becomes impaired, there's really no, I mean, it's going to eventually find its way to everyone else on it. There is no decoupling. And so now the, the, the script has been flipped around where we're hoping that the woes that we see in China, ironically from a real estate problem and all of the financing, financial pro, uh, faults that go along with it, that's going to be limited and contained to China when there is no evidence to suspect that decoupling in our favor is going to happen this time. You know, Jeff, I, I, I'm trying not to laugh here because I, I love the story because you go back to 2015, 2016, right? The global economy was clearly slowing down. It looked like we we're heading to recession. And who gets credit for pulling the entire world out? China. They, they, they totally everybody. Oh, yeah. Look at what China did. They injected credit. They dealt all, did all these things. And look, they pulled the global economy out of it. And then now what's happened since the pandemic is a global economy was once again, starting to slow. And who is going to be the savior and run to the rescue? It was China. They're going to pull everyone up and out of this. You watch all those consumers, you know, they've been locked behind doors under you know, the COVID zero policy. But Xi Jinping seen the light of the day. He's opening the doors and money's going to come flooding out in consumption. And now just the opposite, right? Well, China's about to just self-destruct, but oh, now they're on their own. In an expansion, they can pull everyone up, but in a contraction, no, they're, they're on their own. It doesn't make any sense. We're synchronized, as you said. Maybe not the timing isn't the same, but we're all together in this. Yeah, it's a global system, and it, it includes more than just economic. You know, we've talked about the trade recession, which I think is the most obvious downside case here. And that's one one channel, as economists like to say, for the, def, the for the deflationary recession to continue to develop. And it is deflationary. We already see that across uh, trade prices and producer prices already. But, you know, the other point that you made about 2008, 2015, um, 
it's it's always it's almost like you know we can just we're it's Calvin ball we can just make up rules as we go oh China's going to be fine because the U.S. is is bad we're, we're going to decouple there and then 2016 well you know the U.S. is experiencing problem but China this time will pull us out when they were everybody was supposed to decouple and now here we are in 2023 is that the 2023 after the last couple of years which were complete I mean complete mess, uh, very much everything that you would associate with asset bubble type behavior, including rationalizing. Many people did, um, many companies did, that it was a permanent plateau of prosperity that was going to benefit everybody. You know, we we're going to go back to like before 2008 all over again. But then we have is the question is, is China weak and bringing the rest of the world down? Can we decouple from China or was it the other, as you as you were just saying? Is China actually strong or a potential source of untapped strength once they reopen, which will help everyone avoid a downturn? And now we have these questions where China is in worse shape than we thought, which is something we really need to discuss and talk about, because you have to ask yourself, why did reopening fail? And if if reopening failed because of bigger structural issues, how does that play out in a decoupling scenario? Because if if the Chinese reopening failed for reasons that aren't specifically about China, then that that puts the finger back on everyone else. Yeah, Jeff. And from a real simple standpoint, you could say China's reopening. We could argue the timing was bad because you're the world's largest exporter and the, the global economy around you is slowing. So you have this workforce coming back to work at a point where demand is slowing down. Your government is saying, look, we, we expect you to go out and consume. And yeah, you might have some money in your pocket, but you go to work and you see, well, new orders are down. Maybe we're not as busy. And you start to think, do I want to go and buy that new home or the new car or spend all this money? And it's probably not the best time. Of course, we know the real issue aside from that is there's a global dollar shortage, which is evident entirely across the system. And I don't think it's going beyond dollars. I think inside China, we're seeing perhaps even a yuan shortage. We're seeing all kinds of issues here that just tell us that there's a massive currency shortage. But this is typically what happens. You get these massive booms, these massive expansions. You get a curtailing of credit. And next thing you know, you've got all this debt built up and not enough money to pay it. Somebody has to be a loser here. The problem is, I think the dollar shortage or the currency shortage, if we want to just speak broadly about it, I think it's far deeper than maybe even we can see at this point. That's a really good point, Steve, because the other part of the asset bubble is the downside of the asset bubble. And that's where deflationary money comes from. And I think there's a lot of misperceptions. Certainly when I use the term deflation and talk about deflationary money, people are like, what do you mean? And it's not, you know, I think we're conditioned to believe that deflationary money is about the supply of money, how much money is available. And that's part of it. And that can be part of it. But as I like to tell people, it's more about circulation because there could be a tremendous supply of money. But if it's just sitting there doing nothing, it's it might as well not exist at all because money that doesn't circulate is just savings. And then that doesn't help the economy that maybe needs that kind of medium to continue to 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 continue to operate at efficient levels. You know, the, the Great Depression, there was plenty of gold during the early 1930s, but it was only limited. It was hoarded in several places. It didn't circulate, which caused all of the liquidity problems. And so the, the past couple of years, we have mispriced the future, which we're now heading into 2023 and 2024, which causes people to say, I thought one thing. Now I'm seeing a whole different set of circumstances. So one of the things I'm going to do as a funding or money provider 
I'm going to reassess the situation. Even though I might have funds available, spare balance sheet capacity, I'm not going to use it right now because I really don't know how this is going to play out. And so deflationary money isn't necessarily about lack of supply as it is lack of circulation. And if dollar and money providers become risk averse, and as Steve was pointing out, there's no, no shortage of reasons why that could be the case. In fact, the further we go this year, the more reasons seem to pop up. As dollar providers become more risk averse, they stop providing dollars. It's not about supply, it's about circulation, which only feeds into more problems. We get into the self-reinforcing vicious cycle where dollar providers hoard dollars or other currencies you're saying inside of China, Money providers hoard money, and it leads to all sorts of bad consequences that then lead dollar providers to hoard more money, which leads to further consequences, and round and round we go. And I think that's where we are in the cycle. We're starting to see China first and more than anywhere else, the deflationary monetary symptoms. Yeah, Jeff, that, that's an absolutely great point. And I want to use an analogy just to kind of help everyone understand this circulation thing. You know, in your body, you have blood and your heart circulates it. So now imagine for a moment, the, the amount of blood you have doesn't change, but it pulled in all in one of your legs. So we could test and do the math and say, yep, you've got all the blood, but it's all in one spot. That means your other limbs are going to fail. Things are going to go wrong and they're going to go wrong quickly. So you think about the global economy. One thing we love to talk about, Jeff, as you know, is global trade. And why does global trade matter? Because that's the circulation engine. Money gets moved when people trade. So right now we can have a whole lot of dollars in the system but they might be concentrated in the U.S. right now. Well, it's a big problem because if we don't circulate them to China by buying foreign-based goods and services and lots of them, then they get starved of it and their system, again, sees all the problems we're seeing like now occur. So this is really critical that, you know, one of the things we look at and again in the data is global trade. We look at all of this and when you see that start to slow down and contract, and then in this case, maybe money's being pulled in certain parts of the world. We know where it's not, at least. I don't, maybe I don't know where it is. The money is, Jeff. I can tell you where it's not right now. And that's in oh, Shenzhen and in China, right in my backyard yeah, here where exactly. I'm hanging out. I was going to say, we do know where it is. It's, it's, it's in the big banks, of the, the big global banks, because they're the beneficiaries of all this. Unlike 2008, where we saw Goldman, Goldman Sachs and Citigroup and you know some of the other big banks, you know, Lehman Brothers and, and uh, Bear Stearns and the, the big European banks that got nationalized. They're sitting back this time because they said, you know, we cleaned up our act uh, in the, over the last 15 years. We've built up our defensive capabilities, our liquidity lines and everything else. So all whatever funds are available, they've all gone to the big banks who are sitting back and saying, we'll just let this whole thing sort itself out and we'll pick apart the carcasses and find the winners that are out of the, the dead carcass of the global financial system. And I don't want to make too much of it. I mean, we're not talking about cat, cat, catastrophic results here. But as Steve says, you know, in the analogy, using the analogy of a, a living organism, if the heart starts stops pumping as fast as it needs, as it need, as you need it to, eventually you start having health problems, and you can't run away from those health problems. Apart from you know, if you get gangrene in one of your limbs, you got to hack it off. Well, we can't do that in a global economy, so we have to live with a part of it that is that is diseased, that is not performing the way we really need it to, and that has detrimental impacts to the rest of the system. So, and let's, let's be honest here. China isn't some far away little tiny country that's, you know, interesting and everybody talks about it. It's the second largest economy. In some metrics, it's the largest economy already. And arguably, it is the most important economy for circulation of merchandise trade, as well as, as Steve's saying, 
funds around the entire world. If the Chinese are impaired, that's a big problem. If the Chinese are catastrophically impaired because they have the downside of their bubbles, that's a huge problem for everyone, not just the Chinese. Yeah, Jeff, and you and you add to the narrative of okay, how do we know maybe money's piled up in the commercial banks? Other than well, we can actually see the numbers because unlike China, who's hiding data right now, we actually do provide it. But you think about you know the the average American consumer or investor, you know, you're hearing more and more people talk about, hey, you can go get you know four or five percent. You know, then in at a zero percent environment, you hear more people say, well, why bother saving? Is there's no incentive? So go buy something. And in that case, people did. But right now, you're seeing these dollars that are being hoarded essentially saying, hey, why, why should I go bother spending any money when I can make 5%? This is great. And so again, you see these, these dollars get built up in the commercial banking system. They're not being circulated, or at least not enough. Maybe that's the key here is, like you said, you know, the heart's not being as fast. That's what we're seeing in China is gangrene start to show up. You know, we do need to cut some things off, but we can't chop them off. That just That's just not how the system works. And that's why we start looking at what's going on in their financial system and it starts to look like it's caving in. There's a very specific reason why they're being starved. Yeah, it's the downside of the asset bubble mentality because you fool yourself into thinking that everything is going to be great in the future. You misjudge, you misprice. And then once you realize that you're wrong, you got to hope that you realize that first. Otherwise, other people are going to realize the same thing and it just paralyzes everyone. We've, we've lived through this in living memory. Um, it's what markets are telling us is likely to happen, that there's going to be spillover. We see this everything going on with China's yuan. It's, it's, it's enough to be uh, concerned because this is a big deal about a big country, a big part of the system, deflationary. And it's more than anything, I think, Steve, final thought here is that it's consistent with everything that we've been warned about by the marketplace up until now. Everything that goes on keeps pushing slowly, incrementally in that direction rather than in the direction of inflation and soft landing and everything else. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And you go back to the global financial crisis, you know, people owned these mortgage-backed securities, these subprime mortgages. They were owned by people all around the world. The notion that money managers, banks, and don't own any of this Chinese debt that are around the world, oh, they do. We just might not know it, but we'll find out. Yeah, even if they're not directly exposed, they're at least looking, taking a second look at their activities and saying, maybe I need to pull back here and just, and that's enough. That's, that's really enough. They don't need to lose money on Evergrande's bankruptcy in order for them to say, we got we to gotta take a second look at our, 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 our business and maybe take, make some hard decisions. If you want to see more about what's going on in China with Evergrande and everything else, Check out the video at the link below. As always, thank you very much for joining. Thanks to Stephen Van Meter. Thank you to Eurodollar University subscribers and our Eurodollar University members. Until next time, everyone take care.